Hello and welcome to the Church in Action program. Today we're sharing part one of a two-part series on the intersection of justice and biblical disciple-making with special guest, Pastor James Roberson III. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Charles Galda. I'm the president of Vision New England and your host for the Church in Action, where we talk with New England leaders about making disciples, doing justice, and sharing Jesus to accelerate evangelism and transform the world. This week, I'm talking with Pastor James Roberson III, lead pastor of Bridge Church NYC in Brooklyn. So not quite New England, um, but we're going to count him as New England today. It's close enough. And he's just got some important stuff we really wanted to bring into the dialogue we've been having about making disciples. Uh, but he's also the president of Pray March Act, a collective of churches committed to breaking down racism. Uh, and he's an important voice trying to teach the church and bring believers back to a Christian worldview of work. So all really important, uh, interesting topics. Uh, Pastor James, thanks for being with us today. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Thanks. So Vision New England has gathered leaders from around New England to talk about what God has been exposing and teaching the church over the last couple of years. Um, a major need of the post-pandemic church from that group is that we need to make disciples better. People who are biblically literate, who evidence the fruits of the Spirit, who are being transformed to be more like Jesus, putting others ahead of us, our desires, our preferences, our politics. And so, James, does that resonate with you? Are you seeing the same thing in your context? Yeah, I mean, I think that disciple making from the time that, you know, I, I got my start uh, in college ministry. And so disciple making at that time was very relational and uh, it had a very deep mentorship element there. Um, but with the way, particularly with the pandemic, the fracturing of intimacy and connection, I think the addition of social media, I think there is a far less um, depth of connection relationally uh, in regards to intimacy. And I think with the advent of social media and the internet, there is a great deal of more of information um, and there's more catechizing that happens through the political sphere as well as the entertainment sphere. So I think the, the decrease of intimacy and relationship uh, and the increase of information through a, a variety of spheres has just made it difficult to see people change. And by change, I don't mean on one end being biblically literate but lacking love, and on the other end, being passionate about justice, but lacking humility. I think at the end of the day, Jesus was very clear that disciples would be known by love for one another. And that's has always been a challenge, right? I mean, that's always been a uh, distinctive challenge, but we cannot know if someone is loving if they're involved in a march, and we cannot know if someone is loving if they are able to quote the words of Jesus. We know someone's loving by seeing fruit in their life. And one of the things I always say is that, you know, the fruit of spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It is not me saying I'm patient. It's actually my wife saying I'm patient. You know, that's because the fruit is someone taking the orange off the tree, making orange juice and saying, mm, that's good. The tree doesn't say it's good. The drinker of the juice says it's good. Mm -hmm. So we cannot tell if someone's maturing unless we see them in the tension of differences in the process of reconciliation. So all of that is a journey we go on and it, it's become more difficult, but it's obviously still worth it. 
You know, it's it's funny you say that. I'm remembering years ago when my doctor, I was getting my physical, and his question was, Do you, does your wife say you're under a lot of stress? And I'm like, why would you ask me that? And, and the answer was the same thing. I, you have no idea whether you're under a lot of stress. Your wife does. And so it's the people around us. But but uh, there's a challenge, I think, even in what you're saying, because and Jesus says, right, judge by the fruit. Um, but but some of us can be pretty good at um, behavior modification as sure. we become Christians that lead yes. us to believe I'm becoming more patient and kind and at, at least at times. And so how do we separate that out and know whether what we're doing with somebody is actually working or if they're just getting better on the outside when I'm around? You know, and I, I think as uh, pastors, it is very difficult to be able to discern Christ-centered, spirit-filled love versus personality and etiquette. Um, and mixing a little faithfulness is very difficult. And this is hopefully why we go the long journey with people. And because honestly, I cannot tell if someone's mature until I see them in a conflict. Personally, yeah. I just, you know, like, and, 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 and it's in those moments that I really begin to see that all these verses that you memorized, all those groups you led, all those things you, you know, it's, I'm looking at, this is our qualifications of an elder, is a lot of it is how, what do the closest people to you think of you, right? Mm -hmm. What does the outsider think of you? So it's a lot of our, uh, a lot of our uh, management of, and, and management of the growth of people around us, we've got to be open to looking at the spheres of influence that they're around, but we've also got to be uh, aware of taking our time and um, letting fruit grow. And, that, and I think that's a lot of that challenges our church growth methodologies. Mm -hmm. I've certainly put people in place too quickly. And, um, and I did it out of the urgency of needing a body. <laughs> and so, and so, uh, so part of it is having, being more deliberate about investigating fruit but also being open to saying there's certain programs, methods that we may not be able to do because we don't have a mature person to lead. And that's that's a constant tension we feel in our community. And, and so would you be advising pastors then to say um, they should not do something, call it new or continue doing something that may exist if you don't have the right mature believer in that role who's not just behavior modification, but who you've seen in the conflict and you've seen them demonstrating the love of Jesus. Should we stop? Yeah, we have to say again. Should we stop? Well, I, I, I definitely think that anything new shouldn't be led by an idea alone. Mm. Um, it has to be an idea facilitated through the maturity of a believer because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, my daughter, you know, it was a great idea to have her go play basketball, but it was a struggle because of the coach. Mm. It was a great idea to have this young lady in theater, but it was a struggle because of the director. All great ideas aren't, um, they're not fulfilled until we have someone to management, manage it effectively, and they are putting the love of Christ on display. So you might want to do an outreach, but if the director isn't loving, 
you'll have an outreach done in the flesh, right? Mm -hmm. So we want things to be able to exude the, the glory of God through a person who um, has enough humility uh, to express that. So we actually had to, we, we saw that we had a tremendous challenge in helping to describe what maturity was. So we, we described it in what we call pillars. And so we have five pillars, uh, prayerful, biblical, grateful, unified, aligned. And when we get to that last part of alignment, we found that we had a lot of people who would, they love the Bible, they love prayer, uh, they, they, they served out of gratitude and they would have unity in the community. But um, there were certain aspects of them. When we say align, we say you must be passionate about the methods of the church, the doctrines of the church and the leaders of the church. And so a phrase that we say under that is, um, um, alignment before assignment. You've got to be aligned with the church before we have you doing something for uh, the church. And so that those are all things that we've just learned uh, over time because, um, you know, the minute someone, uh, one of the things we always say is that when you become interested in God, Satan becomes interested in you. And so when a leader starts to be raised up, they become a target. And so be, being in the community, getting questions asked them, we have to really be careful about who we prop up and can they handle uh, the element of platform. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So give, give me those five again more slowly, please, if you would. Prayerful, uh, biblical. You, uh, prayerful, biblical, grateful. And so what we're saying is you, the first we, we're saying we, we also call it like a level five leader. Level one is you begin a prayer life. Level two, you, you get in your word, right? And those kind of two are combined. But level three is now that you have been talking to God and learning more about him, you should serve out of gratitude. You should do justice out of gratitude. Prayerful, biblical, grateful. Level four is unity. You should be a unifying agent in our community. And then alignment. Okay. And so unity and alignment can sound similar, but unity, we're talking about the community. Alignment, we're talking about direction. And so we only put leaders in place that we see are aligned. So we see them celebrating our methods. We see they believe in our doctrine. We see that they that there's no tension with the leadership. And that was one of the biggest problems we found is that the advent of social media and the progressive spirit that is without throughout the Northeast, there is such a tension of belief and authority. And so, and, and that's what you're seeing in tension in organized religion. So there people love the community. It's particularly, you know, my church is mostly millennials. And so there's a love for community and unity and love and, you know, kumbaya. But, but, you know, at some point I've got to, I'm your pastor. Like I've got to give you, I'm not your buddy. I'm not your friend. I'm friendly. Um, and so the, when we started seeing, we had to give directional impetus to a, to, to a group or to a person, we started to see pushback and we were like, oh, you know, they love the church, but they're not following the leadership. So mm. we had to add alignment um, be, because we saw a new crop of people that really struggle to follow institutional leadership a across the board. You see that element in social media where people love fighting against uh, institutional leadership and lack honor. And so that's something we've had to really uh, celebrate and and investigate in our leaders. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist, so I don't know what following institutional leadership even means, <laughs> right? 
Totally, <laughs> totally. Autonomous. <laughs> and, and so it's that almost sounds to me like that's almost a framework for disciple making. Would you think of it that way, that if you're prayerful, biblical, you're on the path for being a disciple? Yeah, so we um, so we have a different framework we use to talk about like assimilating people into a discipleship process. But discipleship is a part of all that we're we're trying to to do. Um, uh, but we we had to imagine in our mind what a mature believer was. One of the things that I've concluded being here in the city is my disciples discipleship systems and methods have really been blown up. A lot of my training came in the South. Mm. I used to work for you know, Campus Crusade for Christ and I worked for large mega churches down there. And so a lot of things were, you know, um, you know, baseball diamond kind of stuff, mm. you know, first base, second base, third base. And when you're dealing with somebody who's on Hamilton or who's trying to, who's on wall street or who, uh, is at Columbia University, um, your your level of margin that you have with them is so limited. Mm. So it's hard to, I mean, people start it, people don't get to third base because you have this um, environment-based method of discipleship. Now, don't get me wrong, we still have environments, we have groups and things of that nature, but we had to think more philosophically. We had to think more principle-wise because we found that trying to hold on to people to get them to another base was like trying to grab water. And so we had to help our, our leaders imagine what does maturity look like? Because we can't just base everything about getting Susie to third base because it's, she's not, you know, at home playing PlayStation. She is uh, on a subway right now. You know, she is trying to uh, advance her career and people who, move to New York City or are trying to advance New York City are probably giving the most effort they've done in anything in their lives. So we want to honor the fact that people in our community have less margin. So we have to think more principle wise as opposed to programmatically. Um, so also we try to have a discipleship ethic in envisioning um, what a believer can be because the last thing I'll say to that is one of the things we always tell our people is you've got to own your own growth. Like we can set up environments, we can create programs, but we are in a period of time where the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And the, and we have the opportunity to read the word of God and we are in an information age. And on a basic level, we can do the sermons, we can create the environments, we do small groups, we, we do all those things. But, but what I found is there has to be a hunger and a desire, as talks about in Peter, to add to your faith. Mm -hmm. And until that happens, um, no program, no method, no group, no environment can stimulate the hunger to transform and renew your mind. That's got to be the spirit of God um, prodding you to do that. And, and we changed in that because we had, we had Bobby and Wendy in first, second, third, and they weren't changing. Mm. But I saw other people who were just, you know, growing and it wasn't environment based. So we had, so we do those environments, but we don't presume it's like putting chocolate chip cookies in the oven 
And then once the bell rings, I'm going to be able to serve them out. Um, we realize it's an environment, but it is not. Um, it's not it's it's not uh, like ingredients. It doesn't mean we're exactly going to get that. And I think that's problematic when we when we approach our environments that way. Ho- hopefully that means. And and so what I hear you saying, uh, just to make sure I'm following. So it's it's like we used to think, uh, hey, put somebody have somebody do step one, then they do step two, then they do step three. And eventually they're a disciple. And you're saying yeah. not so much anymore. And yeah. and so it's so you talk about being at being principle based. And what what do you mean? What are the principles? Um, that are well, again, again, we <clears throat> so. We created those pillars as a as a means of a filter to look at people through. And we no longer presume that just because you've been participating in one of our environments, that pillar got produced in you. You may come from the business world. And, you know, one of the things that we've found is people who have come from the street, you know, they've come from hard times, just got out of lockup, you know, they have a deeper sense of gratitude than the person who's biblically astute. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't an environment created. That was a trial you went through. So if I can teach my people to have the right lenses to look at disciples, then I won't presume, I just won't predict because you went through 101, you're, you are at a 201, but maybe I can just look at their lives and see if you're a person that's grateful, are they serving? Are they about justice? Are they, are they biblical? How do they make their decisions? So we put questions underneath those in order for our people to just think principally um, about what a mature believer was. One, and the reason, one of the last reasons I had to do that is because, you know, I'm 45 and I am one of the oldest people at my church. I think I might be the oldest people person at my church. You know, the average age of my church is 26. Wow. And so, so it's very easy to presume that personality and maturity are the same thing. And I found that there were popular people that were raising up and everybody's like, have you listened to this person? I'm like, and I know their life. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to pretend like they're not wilding out. So, so, so again, I'm just trying to frame it in that I'm trying to give all my people lenses as to what maturity looks like. I think that's what Paul was doing when he talked about the fruit of the spirit. I think he was trying to give imagery through agriculture. Jesus does the same thing. Through, through imagery, he's just trying to describe what maturity looks like. I think Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5 when he talks about people who will not inherit the kingdom, right? He, he, he gives all these descriptions about greed, homosexuality, all these different things to saying these people won't inherit the kingdom. He's using behavior as not, not saying if you do these practices, you don't get into the kingdom. He's just saying these are descriptors of someone who doesn't look like they are in the kingdom of God. And so that's all we're trying to do is just give some anchoring pillars and to describe it's like and when you talk about personality versus maturity personality i'm thinking you mean charisma popularity which we judge by a lot and then and then inevitably are 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 disappointed when we find out they're just as flawed as we are or maybe more yeah well i mean and this is what i'm sure a lot of pastors are dealing with in that i've been amazed 
at how much information people know now. It's it's just stunning. Um, and, and so I have to be careful about who I get impressed by. Yeah. I have to be very careful about that as a leader, because sometimes I'm, I'm in a crisis of leadership. I have a thing I want to do right now. We have, uh, we have two, we, we, we do this thing called growth groups. We have two leader opportunities that we need. And so, you know, it's very easy to try to make something, some, make someone into something they're not um, because they've been around and they seem kind and, you know, so I got to, I have to give them time, but yes, charisma, personality, sometimes just being sweet, you know, it's not just, there's not people who stand out. Mm. It's just people who, you know, people can be quiet, but um, over time when you see them in, in, in conflict um, or, or you might learn about um, a lot of people have changed Charles, and we know this in the Northeast, a lot of people have changed a lot of their doctrine in regards to sexuality, not based upon a verse, but based upon a relationship. Yeah. You know, and so that that becomes an indicator over time. So, you know, we've just got to go the long haul with people, see fruit. And and so if if there's ground to make up on, or course correction maybe is a better way for the church, where it's not to say we've not been making disciples and that some churches aren't excellent at it, but on the whole, it looks like we've got some gaps, especially as it relates to partisan politics, it seems, is is how how have we gotten here and what do we need to do about it? Well, I mean, I... Man, it's tough. Yeah, on both sides, it's on tough. partisan politics, right? We see it on both yeah. sides, right? Yeah, no, it's it's tough. Well, I mean, I have a hard time um, deciphering how much a person is actually making their decisions because God said so. Um, I, I, I find that a lot of people are not, just going back to what I was talking about, information, a lot of people are informed, but they're informed because they have talking points. Mm. Like they haven't read a book on this subject. <laughs> they haven't gone to school about this subject. They haven't even had a conversation with a scholar or a leader. They literally saw a two minute video somewhere on TikTok, on Instagram, uh, something on Facebook, they saw a meme and because they saw something and their brains work in a certain way, they're just able to fill up with all these talking points. Mm. And, um, and it's very easy. We had a, <laughs> we had a girl one time, this is such an indicator of this. We had a young lady one time who she showed me uh, a, a meme, a meme, yeah, a meme. Um, and she said, this is my favorite verse. And I read it and I'm like, I Google it. I'm like, I've never heard this verse in my life. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm sitting here like, man, this is wild. And what it was, was um, it was coming from Romans 8 and it was, it was just saying Jesus will never nothing can separate us from the love of God, but it was a it was a summarization of it saying mm -hmm. we'll never be apart. So she was like, "This is my favorite verse," and it said, "We'll never be apart." Romans, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Wow, she is so illiterate." Yeah. 
and so accustomed to the fast food, fast mental food of social media that she moves through this. So um, I don't think there's anything we can do to fight the internet. We're on the internet right now. We've got to do what you're doing right now. We've got to equip people through it. Mm. Um, And so uh, I think we've got to be open to, I don't think we can keep up. I don't think, you know, I don't think every pastor needs to be on TikTok. Um, but, but, but I do think we need to, I think we need to acknowledge that that is there, that information highway is there. And I think we need to be as effective as we can be in putting our, putting our information out on Instagram by also becoming aware of believers and leaders and thinkers who are uh, effective in these spaces and utilizing their information maybe on our platforms. But uh, but I think we have to adjust, pivot, like many people did during the pandemic, and become more aware, and then to the best of our ability, be effective in these spaces to combat yeah. the amount of bad information out there. Thanks for listening to part one of our conversation on disciple-making and justice with Pastor James Roberson III, lead pastor of Bridge Church in Brooklyn and president of Pray March Act. We'd like to thank our listeners. We hope this discussion helps us be the people of God who do the work of God to transform lives, our communities, and the world. You can find more resources and past episodes at visionnewengland.org and help us accelerate evangelism here in New England by clicking donate. Our program is brought to you by our friends at the Louise Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide. Thanks for listening.